Good morning, and welcome. Welcome again to Solid Rock. We're so glad to have you here on um, what is a, a special Sunday for a number of reasons. Um, the first is we're wrapping up our, our VBS, which was great. Um, and before we pass the offering baskets, just want to make you aware if, um, if you have a donation, we did a project for uh, children in Haiti, and Wes Sheely has entrusted me with this, uh, what, it, there's a giant wad of cash in here. I don't know if you can see it, but he's entrusted me with it, which I will drop in the offering basket. But if you have a contribution to make to that project, you can drop that in the offering basket as it comes by. Um, so those offering baskets are on their, on their way around right now. Uh, we're so grateful for uh, your generosity and for your faithfulness. Grateful to be a part of a, a generous community. Um, another announcement on Wednesday this week, we have our midweek prayer service at noon here at the church. Um, you can access the, the prayers that we pray on our website, solidrocksgf.org. Um, there's a, a tab uh, substance tab. You can find our, our midweek prayer liturgy there on our website. Um, so we'd love to have you join us on Wednesday at noon if you're able. If you're not, um, uh, I'd love to have you pray those prayers along with us uh, on Wednesday at noon. Well, everything that we've been announcing for the past few weeks is taking place this weekend, so I'm not aware of any other new announcements to make at this time. Um, so I will go ahead with our scripture reading this morning, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing, us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matt. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to Solid Rock. We're happy to have you, especially those who may be visiting today. I know we have uh, several v visitors for a couple of reasons. If you're here visiting to see the children sing, thank you for being here. And then those who are here for the baptism, we are happy to have you. And we'll, we'll transition to that in just a few moments. But in that text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Austin just read, verse 14, Paul says this, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And while this text in 2 Corinthians 4 isn't explicitly connected to baptism for Paul, some of the language that he uses in this text is connected to imagery that he uses elsewhere in regard to baptism. 
So this is what we're going to be talking about this morning and then participating in in a few moments. We're going to be talking about baptism. But before we get into some of those specifics, I want to set the stage a little bit. You know, the church is a big, diverse, and at times, to be honest, a strange organism. But I think that diversity, and yes, I think even that strangeness, is a great gift to us. I think it's a great gift to all of us, whatever tradition we happen to identify with, whatever tradition we belong to. You know, I've heard it said that we need the church. We need the big, broad church in all of its historical length and all of its ecumenical breadth. In other words, we need the church in his, its historical length. We need the early church. We need the church fathers, church mothers. We need what they pass down to us. We need what the early church gives us in the creeds and the foundation that that provides so that we can have some firm footing. We also need the church in its ecumenical breadth today. We need what various traditions around the globe offer us. Because I think as we get in touch with some of that variety, perhaps we get in touch with some of the beauty, some of the diversity, and some of the mystery of our creator. Because each of those streams of thought, each of those various traditions, highlight unique aspects of the faith that we are a part of. And sometimes I think they highlight aspects of the faith that maybe our tradition doesn't capture very well. And I really do love that. But despite all of that diversity, despite all of those differences, there are some things that must be present for a group of people getting together to be considered a Christian church. For instance, and this is going to be a silly example, so bear with me, but I think it proves a point. If we came in here this morning, into a church building no less, and we talked about the importance of personal hygiene, right? That's a good conversation, right? Especially with a lot of people packed in here and the temperature starting to rise. But if we came in here and talked about the importance of personal cleanliness and we sang songs about it and uh, even talked about Benjamin Franklin's wisdom of cleanliness is next to godliness and then we even prayed prayers, God help us to pursue a hygienic lifestyle. I would argue that that's a great conversation to have. I'm kind of a clean freak, so I'm all on board with that conversation. But that wouldn't make us a church just because we said a prayer and just because we're in a church building. Do you know what I'm saying? And This is what I mean. There are a couple of things that need to be present for a group of people getting together to be considered a church. So despite all of the variety around the globe, variety that we mentioned briefly earlier, once all of that is stripped away, if a couple of things are occurring, there is sort of this universal unity in the church because ultimately all of those differences on specifics about how our services are ordered and the types of prayers we pray, the songs we sing, and even the theological distinctions we have all of those differences don't divide us. So historically, most theologians and most church traditions agree that when Jesus is confessed as Lord, when new believers are baptized in water, 
And when we are regularly celebrating the Eucharist, when we are celebrating Holy Communion together on a regular basis, if those things are present, then a group of people is a church. All of those other things can vary, but those things need to be occurring. The sacraments need to be observed if we're going to be a church. And I get the fact that there is some disagreement when it comes to the use of that word sacraments used to describe these practices. But the word itself just indicates that these are sacred rites that we are participating in as a religious body. And on a practical level, we view the sacraments as a means of grace. This is a way we receive the grace of Christ. Christ has instituted these practices. He has entrusted them to the church. And when we participate in them, it brings the grace and the life of Jesus Christ, our God, into our lives. So we talk about this frequently when we celebrate Holy Communion the Eucharist, we do it just about every week. It's not that we believe in transubstantiation, which is just a big theological word that indicates that the elements that we receive in communion actually become the physical body and blood of Christ. I personally don't go that far, but I do believe that Christ is uniquely and actually present in the elements of the Eucharist. And in that meal, when we share it together, he is feeding us and he is nourishing us in a mysterious way, in a way that we can't explain or can't adequately describe. But we believe Jesus is meeting us. And I don't think that we have to completely understand everything in order to participate in it. I've heard Brian Zond in talking about the fact that Christianity is a confession, it's not an explanation, which I think is a helpful shift for us to make in our thinking about the faith we're a part of, that the faith we're a part of is not an explanation about the world, it is simply a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that conversation, he went on to say that as the church and as individuals in the church, we will explain what we can, yeah, of course, but we will always confess more than we can explain. We will explain what we can, but we will always confess more than we can explain. And I think that's so true when it comes to the sacraments. We participate in them because Christ instructed us to do so, and we believe that Christ's grace is meeting us in these embodied and physical acts. So this is what we're doing this morning. Now, I have a friend who is a campus pastor at a rather large church in the Seattle area. And the church he's a part of has a motto, and I, I try to cut him some slack because he claims he inherited this motto. He didn't come up with it. But their motto is, no weird stuff. No weird stuff. And I understand why somebody might want to put an outsider's mind at ease so that somebody who's visiting their gathering understands that they're not walking into some kind of a snake handling or Jericho marching Holy Ghost party, right? I, and maybe if we have a lot of visitors here today, maybe you were looking for some of those assurances before you visited us this morning. And I get it. But at the same time, I think it is impossible to be the church and not have weird stuff. That's just a cross we have to bear. If we're going to be the church, as we mentioned earlier, 
We participate in the sacraments. And to be honest, from an outsider's perspective, and maybe even from an insider's perspective, the sacraments seem a little bit strange, right? I mean, if you think about what we are doing this morning, baptism, from an outsider's perspective, somebody who isn't familiar with Christianity, maybe wasn't raised in the church, you might be asking yourself, what's the deal with people sitting in water while everybody looks on? I mean, I love swimming as much as the next guy, and when I was growing up, for me, swimming was really all about dunking people, so I'm all on board with dunking people, but this isn't a swimming pool. This isn't a pool party, right? So why is somebody being submerged in water? Do, do we need to call the authorities, or what, what's going on? Now, I used this analogy several months ago, but I, I return to it today because I think it can be helpful. At that point, I likened baptism to this wedding ring that I have on my finger. I wear this shiny piece of metal on my finger, not because I'm a jewelry guy. I'm, I'm not. Sometimes I wish I could be a jewelry guy, but I can't pull it off. I don't even feel comfortable wearing a wristwatch. Um, and, and I have a really expensive device in my pocket that performs all of the functions of a wristwatch, so I opt for that instead. I, I don't wear this as a fashion statement. I get the fact that the ring that I chose over seven years ago is probably no longer hip. If it ever was hip, probably wasn't. But that's not why I wear it. I don't wear it because it's valuable. It doesn't have expensive jewels or it's not made of, a, of an expensive metal. But what it represents is really valuable to me. It represents the commitments that Nanette and I made to one another seven years ago. And I think in a way, at least in part, this is not a, a completely accurate analogy and it doesn't completely explain what we're doing, but I think in part, sacraments have a similar function. Christ has instructed us to participate in these and he is meeting us in these practices, but they also represent something that has and something that is occurring in us and around us and maybe even through us. You know, in Mark chapter 10, that text that we covered several months ago, Jesus connects baptism to his mission on this earth and what that mission means for those who would follow him. And then he connects it to those Passover themes of passing through the waters of the Red Sea for the children of Israel, moving towards safety and salvation out of the grip of bondage and slavery. And so baptism sort of becomes this microcosm of that big salvation story as we represent the fact that we too are walking through the waters that held, held us captive, the waters of sin and death, and we're walking to new life, to our new identity. This is how the Apostle Paul describes the importance of baptism in Romans chapter 6. In verse 1, he asks this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. This is one of the things that we are enacting in this sacrament. And I think it's such a beautiful picture. A symbol that we have 
begun the Christian life. Baptism isn't what makes us a follower of Jesus, but it is where our public announcement of the change of our allegiances is made. It is an initiation into the Christian faith in a very real sense. We enter the Christian faith, at least in a formal way, through the waters of baptism. This is the marker that we are the baptized. We have walked through the waters of sin and death, and we are being brought to safety. That immersion into water is a physical symbol that our old self is being buried, and just as Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised to newness of life. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time, before we celebrate this, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about some of the specifics about how we go about this sacrament. Because although this is one of the things that unites Christians across the board, despite all of our differences, it is also an area where some differences remain, at least in praxis, if not theology. So this is not an attempt to argue that our way is the correct way, or that other approaches are mistaken and have no merit, but rather this is just an explanation of why we go about it in the way we do. There are ways to baptize individuals that we believe gets closer, closer to capturing the essence of this ritual and maybe provides a better understanding of what is being symbolized. So first of all, one of the things we mentioned several months ago was that we choose not to baptize infants. There are traditions that baptize infants, but in what we believe, one of the things this sacrament represents, that we are beginning the Christian faith, we believe it begins with a confession of faith and an intention to follow Jesus, which are things that an infant simply can't do or possess. This is a symbol that we are beginning the Christian life. So we choose instead to dedicate infants, which is uh, an event where as parents of those children and as a congregation that those children are a part of, we are making commitments that we are going to do what we can to help nurture and raise those children in the knowledge and love of our Lord. And then at some point, our hope and our prayer is that those children will get to the place where they can respond positively to the question, do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to align my life with his? So we subscribe to a view of baptism that is often referred to as a believer's baptism. Our view is that baptism follows faith where individuals voluntarily make a decision to trust Jesus Christ and enter his life and then obey his command to be baptized. And then that individual and the community gather together and respond to what is occurring in that person's life. Now this might all raise the question, well then when do we start baptizing people? At what age can a decision be made to follow Jesus? And simply put, we don't have a set age. We take it on a case-by-case -case basis after having conversations with those wishing to be baptized. In fact, this morning, what you all are here for today, we are baptizing two of the children in our congregation. And so maybe the follow-up question is, well, if we subscribe to a, 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 a believer's baptism, does or can a child really understand what is taking place in salvation? Can they really understand and grasp what is taking place in this sacrament? And my answer is no and yes, but that answer would be the same for me if I was baptized at this age. Uh, let, let me explain it this way. 
I think of our daughter, Cora, who is three years old. She just turned three a week and a half ago. And she loves to sing. And one of her favorite songs to sing when we're in the car, it's probably in her top three favorite songs. Um, she always requests it. It's a song called One Day by Modest Yahoo. Has anybody heard that song? <laughs> she loves it. She knows just about every lyric. Um, and Nanette and I always get a kick out of hearing her sing one particular line. It goes like this. All my life, all my life, I've been waiting for, I've been praying for. Thinking about a three-year-old singing all my life, I've been waiting, it's a bit humorous because she hasn't been waiting long for anything. And from an adult's perspective, she really knows nothing about life. And yet she does. She is learning. She is growing every day in her understanding of the world around her. She is every bit as alive as I am. So while she doesn't know as much about life as I do, because I have a few more years, she's beginning to grasp it. So this is an interesting question in relation to baptism. Of course, our daughter doesn't know much about life, but she is learning. And so when we frame that question in terms of this baptism sacrament, do any of us truly understand what is taking place in this mysterious event? I'd say no, not really. We understand it a little bit to the best of our ability, but at whatever age we are baptized, there are things that we don't understand about this sacrament. There are things that we don't understand about the faith that we're a part of. We grow into our salvation. We grow into our identity. We are constantly growing in our understanding of the church that we are a part of. But this is our initiation rite. This is where it begins. Baptism isn't where it ends. So as soon as we have been baptized, we have all of the answers and we understand the faith that we are a part of. No. This is where it begins. And that journey continues throughout our lives as we continue to discover what it means to follow Jesus. I think I know what it means to follow Jesus at the age of 34, but I'm sure in 20 years I'll look back and say, I had no idea. I'm constantly learning and rediscovering what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is our initiation into that church. And I get the fact that the word initiation sounds a little bit strange and maybe sounds a little cultish, but I assure you that's not the case. I assure you. This isn't some secretive ritual by which individuals are gaining access to the deeper things of a spiritual movement. This is a public declaration. I've been baptized with Christ and I am being raised to new life. I am a member of his body, the church. So that's the first practical consideration. Secondly, we choose to baptize by immersion. And again, I don't think these differences are reasons to break fellowship with other followers of Jesus, but this is my perspective. Throughout the New Testament, the stories of baptism seem to indicate that complete immersion into some body of water was the approach. In fact, the Greek word that we translate as baptize literally means to immerse. And there are little windows into this. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, we find Mark telling us the story about when Jesus was baptized. And as Mark tells that story, he says that he came up out of the water. And that's a similar picture that we find in the book of Acts. You may remember that story that Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8 where Philip is traveling with the Ethiopian eunuch and 
while they're traveling, Philip's sharing the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and the man that he's traveling with believes. And as they eventually get to a body of water on this journey, the, the man says, there's a body of water right there. What prevents me from being baptized now? So apparently the water that they were likely carrying on this journey wasn't going to suffice, but as they came to a body of water, he has the idea, well, let's be baptized right now. And again, I only mention this to explain why we are approaching it in this way. If your tradition sprinkled, I, I am in no way questioning the validity of your baptism. This is just where we are coming from, why we choose to do it this way. Now, when all of those questions about how, how we go about the sacrament are addressed, I think questions about why are critical. We believe in baptizing, first of all, because Christ commanded us to participate in this. But secondly, because I really do believe this is a valuable experience. I believe something mysterious is happening to us as we are baptized. And I think it serves to remind us of this decision that we've made throughout the rest of our lives. I don't think that we are magically saved through this act. And so if we baptize individuals, especially children, this is going to sort of secure their future past. So they're never going to wander. They're never going to be filled with doubt. I, I really don't think that's a realistic expectation. This is the beginning of the journey. That journey is going to have some ups and downs. Baptized individuals may wander. They may be filled with doubts. But they can always hold on to this event. This is where I made a decision to follow Jesus, and I'm going to allow that to guide my life. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann described baptism in this way. And I want to share this right before we transition into a time of celebrating this. He said, baptism renounces the ways of death and embraces a new way of life incorporated into an alternative dream about how the world will finally be. So as we baptize, we are no longer saying goodbye or putting to rest our old selves and all of the sin and bondage that held us down, but we are always looking forward to the future and allowing this moment to be our vision for life. This is the direction we are heading constantly striving for that new kingdom. Amen. So we're going to participate in this sacrament. Um, Austin, if you want to come up, and if I think the children's classes are probably waiting if you want to invite them in. And Shoji and Leanne, and Liam, if you want to come up, and then Jason and Lisa and Violet, if you also want to come up. And we'll, we'll give the children a couple of minutes Becca, if you just want to bring them up and you can have them sit on the floor up here. Because I don't think there are enough seats together for all of them. So wherever you can find a spot is great. All right, and so Jason and Lisa and Violet, if you want to stand over here behind me, um, we're going to begin with Liam. We're going to participate in this sacrament, celebrate with these children who are entering the faith in uh, an official way, celebrate with their families as well. Um, we're going to begin by baptizing, yeah, if you, you can take that lid off. We're going to begin by baptizing Liam. He's checking out the water. 
I, I tried to strain all of the bugs out, Liam, but no guarantees. So if you want to help Liam, go ahead and get in. One other thing that we've, we're doing is we've invited Liam's parents and we've invited Violet's parents forward as well for a couple of reasons, so that they can be here um, during this um, celebration. But also there are some traditions that uh, have sponsors. I think the Anglican Church participates in this, but they have sponsors for individuals being baptized that have been walking this path with those individuals that have are affirming the fact that they believe that the individual who wishes to be baptized is, in fact, following Jesus, that they love Jesus and want to allow him to guide their lives. And so in addition to this, I really love that uh, picture of having somebody sponsoring the baptized individual. So in addition to the parental role that these folks represent, they're also we could also view them in that light this morning. So we're going to begin with Liam. Everybody say hi, Liam. Hi, Liam. Uh, Liam started having conversations with his parents over a year ago about his desire to follow Jesus and his desire to be baptized as um, a symbol of that commitment that he was making. We met together earlier this winter and had conversations about this, and I believe that Liam loves Jesus and wants to follow him. So we're really excited and we want to celebrate with him today. All right, I'm going to put this mic down because I don't know how water mixes with it. So I'm just going to yell. Does that work? Okay. <laughs> 